1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? It's over. We can't hurt anyone ever again. No one told you. Told me what? Somebody in there? Michael Myers is alive. Stop! You had a knife in your stomach. You and Allison should not have to keep running. Evil dies tonight. I'm not just gonna sit and watch another innocent person die. If you track Michael's victims, that's a straight line to Michael's childhood home. What do we do? We fight. Let's hunt him down. Michael Myers is flesh and blood. But a man couldn't have survived that fire. The more he kills, the more he transcends. Run! Go home now! He's the essence of evil.
for you, Michael. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and I am again joined by my friend Trentus Magnus. How are you doing, Trent? I am quite well. How are you? I'm good as well. Thank you. And I'm glad to have you back here. And if you've been an attentive listener, you know that two weeks ago, uh, not in real time, but in podcasting time, Trent and I discussed the 2018 movie of Halloween. And today he came back so we could talk about the 2021 movie, Halloween Ends, which is a direct sequel to that movie. Halloween Kills. Excuse me, Halloween Kills. I keep getting them mixed up. You are absolutely right. And if all works out well, in two weeks you'll hear us talking about Halloween Ends. Uh, As we record this, we're still about three weeks from that movie coming out. Uh, But, you know, through the magic of podcasting, we should be able to get a recording done before... uh, before the post date and we will have it if not you might have to wait a couple extra weeks for it but this is our halloween extravaganza and uh we previously discussed the 1978 movie now we discussed the 2018 movie and thankfully we can pretend that everything else in between didn't happen yes yes that is uh that that's very true and you know, the thing about it is I can't remember if I made a big deal out of this in the last episode or or not. But I, I think, was I think I, you kept your your commentary hidden. I think you said you were going to have a lot to say but did not say it yet. Yeah. I was not sorry to see Halloween 2 from 1980, I want to say or 81 perhaps. Um to see that written out of continuity. I I shed no tears over that. You know, that was uh something I I'd been open to for quite a long time. And so when it finally happened uh, for me, that could only have been a positive thing. So yeah, uh, I was very well, happy. You, did, about you did mention that, that you weren't happy with it. And, and just to kind of, without reviewing Halloween two, I always felt Halloween two was kind of a shell of Halloween, much like Jaws two is kind of a shell of Jaws. It's an attempt to recreate the same movie over again, uh, but with less skilled hands. I broadly agree with that i mean i i do find the comparison apt from the standpoint that many cast members returned the director returned from the original just not as the director but more in a sort of producer sort of capacity that's actually mm-hmm. a really good comparison I, I like that a lot actually all right well that does not mean we would rate even though we rated halloween as jaws that does not mean we would rate halloween 2 as jaws 2 but maybe one day we will review that movie and you'll find out what we would rate it now this movie halloween kills and i'm probably going to call it halloween ends about five more times before we're done recording but just <laughs> always know i mean halloween kills uh, it's funny because when i first watched it and i watched it on streaming i did not go to the movie theater to see it um I thought, you know, I enjoyed it and it was, you know, it was all right. Not a bad movie at all. Uh, and now when I watched it today and I'm going to be playing my hand a little bit here, I felt watching it with more of a critic eye that it was really a lot of setup going on for Halloween ends. And a lot of what I ultimately think of this movie is going to depend on after I see Halloween ends and how I see they how 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 they resolve what they've built up in this movie. Yeah. Um, you know what? That That's actually very true. Um, now, I don't know if you want to take a, uh, 
macroscopic or microscopic view of the movie just now. But what I can say is that um, watching this movie for the first time, number one, this is one of the best movie going, quote unquote, experiences of my entire life. I've always kind of hated going to movie theaters. It's one of those things that I would do because it was if you want to see like the new Star Wars or something like that. Well, you don't really have too much of a choice, especially if it's opening weekend. You pretty much have to go to the theater to see that. I've just never really liked it. And so when news came down the pipeline that, hey, the the new Halloween movie, Halloween Kills, this thing is going to go to streaming and theaters same day and you can just pick whichever one you want to do for me it was great i made some hot butter with a side of popcorn and uh as just kind of made an evening i kind of built my whole friday night around that and i just had the time of my life and one of the things i came to understand very quickly is that i seem to be at least among halloween fans a little bit in the minority opinion here a little bit from the standpoint that I seem to enjoy this movie a lot more than you might say the core audience or the core Halloween fans or other core Halloween fans seem to enjoy it. And I don't really have a good way of explaining that. But to your point that this is kind of set up for the third one, for me, that's actually one of the selling points of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it can. But but I do believe and I have no problem with it being a selling point, but it is still dependent upon what what I end up thinking of Halloween ends, because if the setup that we get in this movie kind of falls on its face, then this movie is going to be tainted by that. Whereas if they really, you know, if they sink the the what is it? What do they call it? Stick the landing. Uh and and really give us a satisfying conclusion to it all, then I think, uh, you know, that's that this movie is going to be propped up by that. Well, and yeah, and I'm, largely I agree with that. But one of the things I've actually wanted to ask you about was um, in the aftermath of Halloween Kills, I'll say maybe within the, a month or two after this movie came out slash was released to streaming. What a lot of people seem seem to be saying whether they liked the movie or not is that it did retro sort of retroactively improve halloween 2018 for them I how, see how much does that, that line up with your experience like did you experience that or was was it a bit different well I, as, as i was saying when we were talking about this last time the first time i watched halloween 2018 i thought it was all right and the second time i watched it i Got a much, I got much more out of the experience, and I had seen this by the time I did my second viewing of Halloween 2018. So whether it's because I saw this or just giving it a second view with you know with a little bit more of a uh, an understanding of where it was going to go or I don't I don't know exactly what it was, but I definitely as I had, we talked about upon second viewing I enjoyed Halloween 2018 a lot more, and I thought it had a lot more going for it. This one. It, like I said, I, I, I well, the first time I watched it, I kind of watched it almost in a vacuum. Uh, you know, I saw, you know, I felt it coming off of 2018, but I wasn't really thinking about, well, where are they going to go setup wise? And when I watched it for us to record today, 
excuse me, I had more of the eye towards, well, where is it going to go from here? And I saw how they were setting us up. Uh, and I think, you know, as we get into some of the minutia of the movie, I think we'll talk more about that. The biggest thing about it, as far as setup for Halloween ends, is, well, twofold. And they, and they were laying next to each other in, in hospital beds in the movie. Will Patton and Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. They are both based on, you know, the first... The first two movies, Halloween 1978, Halloween 2018, and this one. Obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis is a center point that we're going to have to get back to, although she was, you know, not particularly significant in this movie. Will Patton, you know, I, I don't believe he was in 20, uh, the 1978 version, unless I'm missing something. Uh, <laughs> but, he, you know, he had a significant part in, in 2018. He had a flashback in this, which brings him to 1978 and puts him in that movie. And he doesn't play a significant role in this either, you know, in, in the current day mode. So I got to think we're going to bring home both of those characters in Halloween Ends and how we bring them home and with what, what and, you know, in what manner and how open ended it is at the end. And, you know, all of those things are probably going to all play into how I'm going to view the trilogy. And I think this movie is going to stand or fall with how I view the trilogy. Yeah, I largely agree with that. Um, this movie, at least for me, it kind of started off with a little bit of a treat because I wasn't necessarily I, – I, anytime I see a movie, I just try to go in kind of with no expectations, you know, and just let things go wherever they're going to go, right? It's absolutely the best way to go into a movie. Yeah, well, I mean, you're not always able to do that, but, you know, when you can, you know, I say go for it. So um, there was a line in Halloween 2018, and I actually I think it was spoken by Will Patton, uh, where he said that um, his character Hawkins was there that night uh, back in 1978. He was involved with um, bringing Michael Myers in, following his big, you know, rampage and all this stuff. And I thought, OK, well, that's. Uh, that's you know that's nice to know uh you know it's very interesting and i just i guess i didn't think too much about it beyond that point what we get in this movie again this was just something that i at least had hadn't been bargaining for was this glorious flashback to 1978 where you see the the sort of the immediate aftermath, maybe 10 or 15 minutes after credits rolled for the 1978 original. Mm -hmm. What exactly it was that happened and how the cops came about bringing Michael Myers down and, and all of that. And it was, it was just, this is an incredible flashback. This is one of the best flashbacks I've ever seen of any movie ever, simply because it looks so convincing. You know, it really does look like a deleted scene from john carpenter's original and it's kind of helped by the fact that michael myers is played by a different actor in in those uh flashback moments that we get and i don't know i mean i'm not sure like what, what well, let me ask you what uh what what did you think of the uh that flashback thing at, uh at, kind of sprinkled throughout the movie but especially at the beginning uh yeah no i i'm i'm in agreement with you i just thought it was really really good and and i it's weird for me because and and i've talked about this before and i've talked about it even as we're doing this now that you know sometimes i look at it more with the critics eye and sometimes i just look at it as i want to 
immerse myself in the movie. And the first time I saw it, I immersed myself because I wasn't planning on doing any kind of recording on it. And yet that scene just kind of like washed over me and moved and I moved on. But watching it more for the sake of critiquing it, I was really taking note of how well it was put together and how much it did feel. It almost had that grainy feel to it, you know, of an older movie. And, and, you know, they worked Donald Pleasance into it. And uh, the only thing about it, that's not actually Donald Pleasance. Like, did you know that? No, I did not. I thought it was, I thought it was like a deleted shot of him that they just took and cut into it. Well, it's a, I thought thought they had somebody else doing his voice, but I thought it was him. Yeah, no. And that is someone else's voice for sure. But, um, what they noticed is there was some guy who was doing lighting on the movie and they're like, Hey, you look a lot like Donald Pleasance. And he's, and and the guy himself didn't actually see it, but they're like, no, really there's a moment, you know, in the movie where, you know, um, we think we can actually work you in. So apparently they rewrote the script somewhat, um, to sort of allow for, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Loomis to have kind of a cameo. And so now his, yeah, I'm sorry. I said, which was great. I, oh, I, just, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's brilliant. It's it's amazing how brilliant things can just come by accident sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so um, the first time I saw the movie, I was just staring at it, trying to figure it because this looks way too good to be CGI. There's no way this is CGI. But how did they do it? Because he looks so much like Donald Pleasance. And so apparently it's just it it's just a freak accident. You know, I it happens sometimes where. You just look around you, and sometimes the best resources that you're going to have are somewhere 10 feet, just 10 feet away from you, you know, and you weren't even looking for it. But, hey, there it is. The only thing about it that didn't feel true to 1978, and I'm okay with this, and we're going to discuss it a little bit more in just a couple of minutes. uh, You know, Michael was a fast-moving Michael in the scene. When he comes out of that closet, he bursts out. Yeah. Uh, which which is not really what we saw in 1978. In 1978, he felt more glacial in the way he moved, but he was a force of nature, just like like trying to stop a glacier. Uh, but he wasn't speedy, and that was the only thing you potentially had to defend yourself was that you could move more quickly than him. Uh, but when he when he bursts out of that closet, I mean, <laughs> you know, nobody's getting out of the way. He comes out like a football player. Yeah. Uh, so that didn't feel true to 1978, but it felt like it was a good addition or a good change, a worthwhile change, because it it made him seem all the more dangerous. Yeah, and just to, uh, to kind of work. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, um, well, the um, I I just sort of assumed that the reason for that creative decision was to contrast 1978 michael as we see him in this movie to 2018 michael which in spite of the fact this comes out in 2021 this still takes place in 2018 just try to contrast those two things against each other and i Mm. honestly didn't think too much about it beyond that but no you raise a good point I, i think that's fair so, you know, we, we see more of that and this is where i said we want to talk about it a little bit more uh we see a little bit more of that in the in my opinion, amazingly choreographed fight between Michael and the firefighters. Yes. I just think that scene is so incredibly well put together. Uh, I really got to give these filmmakers credit. They don't have the John Carpenter feel, but they have their own way of doing things. 
Uh, and by not having the John Carpenter feel, I mean, it doesn't feel like John Carpenter directed this movie. It feels true to his vision of the characters for the most part, yeah. but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like he directed it. It doesn't have his signatures on it. His signatures are a little bit more small. This is, this is a big scene. Um, you know, John Carpenter, I think you, you, you see more where, where he's, at his best when he's got a quiet scene with people talking or with, you know, just something suspenseful going on. This, this is, like I said, a choreographed battle scene. And Michael comes out, you know, with that axe and just demolishes all these firefighters. And I feel like, and I'm going to, we're going to get to it later, but I feel like this is foreshadowing of what we get later when Michael is facing off against people who are not even as, you know, physically challenging as firefighters. Now, you know, now you're just like, you know, nobody has a chance against him of, of the people that we're going to see. And yet, you know, we get to a little something that, that surprises us for that. But just to focus on this scene, you know, there's there's so much that goes on there. Like, you know, I don't think you saw necessarily unless you understood like what the water pressure of a fire hose is, because my understanding is it is significant enough like it would knock a normal man off his feet. Yeah. And Michael just walks, you know, wades right through it. You're like, you think if you don't know better, you're going to think, well, why is he spraying a hose on him? What's that going to do? But this, you know, with that kind of pressure, it would really do some damage to a normal person. But Michael just wades through it. And it's it's like a, a water pistol. Uh, you know, he, he just takes these guys out. They, there's the one guy with a chainsaw, which is just like, yeah, OK. That one, in its own way, I almost found that to be an amusing way to take somebody out, that the guy's coming at you with a chainsaw and you use it to kill him. Uh, but just everything in that battle just seemed so well put together. You don't you don't have that Bruce Lee feeling where it's like, well, why aren't they all attacking him at once? You know, when Bruce Lee would have a battle like that, one guy would come, he'd kick him. The next guy would come, he'd punch him. The next guy would come, he'd do whatever. And you'd say, <laughs> well, why don't they just circle around him and come, all come at him at once? Uh, in this one, I mean, they were trying to to, to come at him and, and just, you know, they were overwhelmed by him. And it was I thought it was great. I couldn't agree more. And I like the fact that that sequence kind of serves as like a mission statement for everything else that happens in this movie. Last time in a Halloween 2018, Michael was an animal. He was a predator that had been taken off the leash in this movie. He's mad. All right. He, he got locked up in that basement. Uh, uh, Lori set fire to the place, tried to kill him. It nearly worked. He knows that. And he is in a really, really foul mood all throughout this movie. And that firefighter scene, apart from I think that's actually going to be one of the great iconic moments of all Halloween movies from now to the end of time. I but can see that it for me, what it, what I think. And, you know, far be it from me to crawl inside of David Gordon Green's head and try to uh, be too didactic in terms of, you know, what he was definitely trying to do when he was directing this movie. But if I had to guess, I would say that the purpose of that scene is basically, you know, like I said, wanting to um, show that Michael Myers is always dangerous, but especially in this movie, he's got a big mat on going and so you should expect a much higher body count and in relation to that halloween h2o which i love and adore i like that movie i think it's got a body count of something like six from start to finish whereas 
just the Hallow- uh, the uh, firefighter moment uh, at the start of Halloween Kills, I think it's six just right there. And that should tell you something about what happens for the rest of the movie, right? And so, mm-hmm. but yeah, God, that is just a great scene. Love it. Uh, Carnage candy. Great. I, I, uh, I ate it up with a spoon, you know? Yeah, and, and I'm not a huge uh, slasher fan in general. Uh, it's got to be well done. It's got to be it's got to have something more going for it than just your traditional slasher. Uh, I think we I don't even know if we did Friday the 13th on this show or not. I'm not sure. But to me, that's. Like shows like when you when you don't put as quite as much attention to detail and quite as much attention to trying to put together a, a film as opposed to just a movie. Yeah. Uh, and then I know that sounds pretentious, but I think, you know, when you're talking about 40 years later and you're still looking at something, that's the difference. That's, you know, that's that's what makes it come out. I, I think Friday the 13th is uh, famous for creating a you know franchise with Jason. Uh, and it's more famous because the genre had become popular. But I think if if Halloween hadn't been out and Friday the 13th came out, I think it would be forgotten by now. So that may be overstating it a little, but that's that's my take on it. Um, what do you think of adding Anthony Michael Hall to the cast? As um, uh, I'm sorry, was he Tommy? Yeah, Tommy. Yeah, Tommy Doyle. Yeah, and and the fact that he's a flashback to the uh, you know to the 1978, even though he's not the same actor as the kid who played Tommy. But he's also not the uh, same actor that played Tommy Doyle and Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. Right. right. Um, you know, this, uh, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem like playing Tommy Doyle. It, it just doesn't seem like very much was asked of Anthony Michael Hall. This role just did not require very much from him. Um, mm. Now I'm, I've never really been able to completely figure out like, where do I fall on the generational sort of divide? But nevertheless, um, you know, a fair number of movies with Anthony Michael Hall in them would pop up all throughout my childhood. He's always just been recognizable to me in that way. And, uh, you know, boy, did he grow up to be very different. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing that amazes me about him. You see him from like weird science and you compare that to <laughs> Halloween Kills. And it's like, that's the same guy. Yeah. Yeah. But um, uh, I don't know. I He's always welcome. In, in my opinion, I liked him in The Dark Knight, and I like him here. Um, but it, it's like at the same time, what he's doing in this movie, all due respect to him, it's mostly something that any number of actors could probably do more or less the same thing with, you know? And yeah. so for me, he didn't stand out in that way. It stood out more from the standpoint, oh, Anthony Michael Hall. Well, I like him, so let's let's see where this goes. And uh, yeah, it goes just about where you would think it goes, but I'd like to think that by virtue of the fact that, let's face it, Tommy Doyle is kind of a, an iconic character in this franchise, and Anthony Michael Hall, he's just so well-known and so well-liked by most people. Uh, when Tommy kind of has his sort of predictable ending in this movie, there Michael Myers earns it. Let's put it that way. Michael Myers, he doesn't get it for free. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, 
that's that is true. And but you know, I I think, and again, when you you know you compare young, young Anthony Michael Hall to what he became, you you would never think of him as filling this role. But I think you know ultimately he's supposed to be more of a physical presence. He's more of a you know a guy who grew up to be you know a big big tough guy, uh, and you know he's ready to take on the world. And you know, basically we see you know even he can't hold up to Michael ultimately. Um, although you know there. It's again, it's interesting how we get there, but we'll we'll work our way through that. Sure. Um, after the big dynamic scene with the firefighters, we have the follow up, which is Michael taking out the older couple in the house, um, which I found to be interesting in contrast. But I also felt like they belabored that scene a little. I think that one could have been a little bit shorter. Uh, I don't know if people found it amusing when Michael is basically testing all the knives on, on the, the man uh, and just kind of going through one knife after another and, and jamming them into him. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I liked it as a contrast. I just think it went on a little too long and I have one minor nitpick point is that's not the way fluorescent light bulbs work. When you when you take a light bulb and you, a fluorescent light bulb, if you smash it, the entire thing just kind of collapses and on itself. You can't take it like a piece of glass and and crack it and hold half of it in your hand. Uh, I, I'm not saying it can't happen, but if you do it 500 times, probably three of them will stay whole like that. Well, what do you mean? They showed it in this movie and it, it worked exactly the way he needed it to work. I, was, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I sort of wanted the same thing. I, I, I've seen so many of those those kind of long ones just when they break, they don't just break. It's like they disintegrate, you know, yeah, they burst. And, yeah. And so the most I can figure is. I don't know. It's a movie. I was willing to go with it. But even if it did break in just that perfectly convenient way. It's still going to, again, disintegrate if you try to, you know, poke somebody with it like that. So I don't know. I'll roll with it. You know, everything else about the movie is fine with me. So I'll let that slide. But uh, the whole time you're, you're sitting there, you're watching this, you're thinking, I don't think it would work that way. But hey, I don't I don't need to find out, you know. Yeah, that's that's pretty much accurate as far as I'm concerned. It's, uh, you know, it, it's it's a nitpick is what it is. Yeah. But it was a nitpick that I saw, and I was like, I can't, you can't do that. Um, then, then we have a scene with them when they're sending out the troops to, to to go after him, and I felt like it was reminiscent of what we got in The Fugitive when Michael, uh, when Tommy Lee Jones does the, you know, and check every outhouse, outhouse, blah blah blah, you know, like he's giving that whole speech to the people. You, know, we have a fugitive. His name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Uh, that's what it felt like it was doing, but it was like the small town version of it. Like not um, nearly as effective. And I think that was intentional. I think that's, that's the feeling I got from it. And I think that's the feeling they wanted me to have. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's kind of funny that you should say that because, uh, just to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit for, uh, those listening at home or on the road or wherever, uh, a couple weeks ago, I came down with, uh, COVID. Um, obviously totally unplanned. How, how could you possibly plan something like that? Uh, but you know, nevertheless, that's, that's what happened. And, um, I felt awful. And so I want to say it was like Monday, a couple weeks ago. Um, 
I, I just I felt like I'd been run over by a truck. And so all I could really do was just sit there and watch movies because it's like you can't sleep anymore. Right. You've been asleep for like 10 hours or something like that. And your body does need to be awake for a certain amount of time just naturally. And so The Fugitive is one of my favorite movies of all time. I like that movie. We should probably do an episode about that at some point. But I did do an episode about that oh. about two okay. years ago. Uh, I wouldn't mind talking to you about it. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's a great movie. We, ra- we rated it as yours. Oh, and I, by the way, just spoiler alert, couldn't agree more. That, that movie is awesome. But that, that moment that you're talking about with uh, Gerard where he ta- where he – Basically rallies the troops, and we're going to look in every hen house, dog house, outhouse, whatever house. Um, it did kind of remind me of that this moment in, um, you know, in the movie rewatching it now. You can definitely see some connective tissue going on there. But for me, that kind of sets up like the franchise of what Halloween Kills as a movie is going to be all about. This is not Laurie's story. This isn't uh, Karen's or Allison's story. This is. Haddonfield's story. This is Haddonfield's movie. Good point. Very and, good point. You know, the idea of that, um, we got sort of a taste of that back in Halloween 4, where it did take a while for people to kind of accept the fact that Michael Myers is back and he's here to cause all kinds of trouble. But once the characters in that movie accepted that reality, I don't know if you could go so far as like the entire town mobilized, but certain a, a a bar full of rednecks definitely mobilized and they went, you know, cruising around looking for My- Michael Myers and all that. And it sort of reminded me of that again here in this movie, but just on a much larger scale where it's like you get the idea that maybe not literally the entire town turned out for this, but there were enough people who were so sick of um, the fear and the legend of Michael Myers that. They saw an opportunity to kind of even the score. And so when Tommy Doyle just kind of lays it all down, okay, guys, this is it. This is the moment we've been dreading. Let's go for it. Let's find this guy and let's let's take him out. And it, it has the feel of like, a you know, a universal horror movie when the town is all rallying with pitchforks and going out after, you know, the Frankenstein monster or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's actually I was gonna I was gonna say that exact same thing. So yeah, definitely on the same wavelength. So I don't know. I just what I find is that again, this is one of those things that either works for somebody or it doesn't. And it seems like for a lot of people out there, they wanted this to be another Lori story. But I mean, she had a kind of rough time of it in the last movie. You know, you maybe she needs a movie to just kind of cool her heels a little bit, you know, and recover and. Let's face it, this is a story that, at least for Halloween, it's pretty new, it's pretty original, and I, well, let me ask you, like, I enjoyed it, but, you know, what did you think of the town kind of taking center stage? No, I kind of liked it because, you know, we, we've we talked in the past about subverting expectations, and I think the natural expectation is, okay, you're going to do a trilogy, Laurie is going to be front and center through the whole thing, and then to take the second part and take Laurie and, again, to elevate, you know, the Will Patton character and leave him also, just elevate him, but then leave him on the side also, and then focus on the town itself and how they're reacting and what's going on with them. I found that to be refreshing, and I thought it was a, a good choice. But 
I still have to see how they stick the landing. <laughs> I still got to come back to that because if they don't give us a satisfying ending to this, this is going to feel empty. Yeah. No, okay, I get that. Because ultimately, I mean, and, and you know, if anybody's listening to this and hasn't watched it, I mean, shame on you. Uh, but spoilers. Uh, you know, ultimately the town fails. You know, I mean, all these all these people. It, it's I, I just thought it was kind of a, a real clever idea to not just bring back Laurie, not just bring back Michael, but to bring back, you know, all these different characters who either were in or referenced in the first movie to have Lonnie and have have Tommy and have uh, was it Lindsay? You know, and, and then just have some flashbacks to the 78 movie to kind of show you them from from back then. Uh, and, and, you know, what happened to them and every year they get together to to reminisce and to, you know, as as survivors, almost like, uh, you know, army soldiers who who after the war is over, once a year they get back together to kind of, you know, renew that again. So that that's kind of what was going on here in, in the bar. And I, I really thought that was something that wasn't obvious to do. But when you think about it, you think it's it's right there in front of you. Why wasn't it obvious? Yeah, it, it, it does kind of create this sort of survivors support group sort of community in in Haddonfield. It's it's just a nice little it's a very welcome bit of uh, world building. And I will say, though, that one of the quibbles that I have with that that sequence is actually Tommy Doyle himself. It just, I don't know. There's something about his Haddonfield boogeyman speech that uh, I'm just not really feeling that quite as much. You know, I'm, it, I'm uh, wondering if there's a little of that for people who are not quite well versed. I, I, I assume that, that they figure anybody who sees this movie has already seen Halloween 78 and Halloween 2018. I think that's an assumption you got to go with. But I think that his speech is meant to try and be a decent way to have him exposit so that the people who aren't, you know, devotees of the movie can get introduced to all these characters and have him just come right out and tell you, this is Lindsay and this is, you know, uh, Lonnie and you know just just to give you that oh and this is the nurse from the car and they even show you the flashback you know yeah. was it Marion yeah so I, I think that's the whole purpose of it that that it's there to to give you the exposition and I'm not ready to uh, to damn it for that I, I think it was a pretty good effort to do it and I and, I, and I, it was fine with me it didn't you know it didn't stick 100% because it didn't feel totally real. I, I think the people in town don't need to be introduced to everybody. But even that, they tried to do it by having that other couple there who's asking them to quiet down because they clearly don't know. So they're, they're giving you the, the excuse that people don't know. And that, 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 you know, that would explain why they, t- they say who they are each year or whatever. I'm, I'm kind of cool with it. On that subject, that um, uh, the medical couple um now you do or did you recognize them from halloween 2018 i did not i did not i had i had to have that handed to me oh okay all right well um i mean i i picked them out 
sort of right away because I made a point of watching Halloween 2018 just before seeing this for the first time. So that their little cameo appearance in that movie. And I even think those are the same actors, actually. But I'm, um, I'm pretty sure they are. Yeah, it um, I don't know. It's just. At least for me, I, I sort of appreciated their role in the movie, you know, that kind of connective tissue, how tempting it might have been to just recast those characters and just or maybe or for that matter, even use different characters. But it does kind of create a logical problem of they went to an awful lot of trouble to uh, get out of the house on time and put on their costumes and all that just to go to a, a redneck bar and drink beer. I mean, um, OK, <laughs> I guess I'll ride with that, but that's an interesting choice. <laughs> now, it, it felt like, and, and this is, again, I'm going to go with subverting expectations. When she gets into the car and, you know, she thinks Michael's in there, it felt like it was a long way to go for just a jump scare, which is what I thought we were going to get. But what we got was the development of a new plot point with the second fugitive from the uh, from the Institute, uh, you know, who we had seen in the first movie on the check on the chessboard. Uh, he was the dude holding the umbrella. And uh, you got to think anybody who was on that chessboard, even though Michael was the alpha, you got to think anyone there is criminally insane and deadly. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, why would they be there? Yeah. But, they, you know, they show him as, as basically broken. Uh, and, you know, the mob is too incensed ultimately to to see that this is obviously not michael myers i mean it couldn't be more of a, a of a stark difference but they they now have blood in their in their eyes and in their minds and i i don't remember who who does the uh the statement i think it's the sheriff from the first movie uh where he says you know we're, it's turning us into the monsters and that reminded me of two things. It, it in its own way, it reminded me of uh, I Am Legend, uh, which, if people don't realize, that's ultimately the the reality of it. Is you know the guy who's our hero in the movie is is the monster to all the other characters in the movie. Uh, and uh, there was an episode of the Twilight Zone, and I can't remember now what the name of it is. Something on you know, it's it's got a street name in it, and they all start to get worked into a frenzy over something and they they turn into monsters themselves and you know in 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 behavior uh and that's what this reminded me of i think claude akins was in the uh, twilight zone episode if i remember right but th that's you know i thought that was another good place to go with this because they just gave us something that you know when they, you know with, with focusing on the haddonfield people they showed how they can get out of control and, you know, ultimately they, they caused the death of this one guy who, you know, yes, he was probably criminally insane, but he wasn't threatening anybody. Yeah, he actually went there looking for help. And I don't know. I kind of like that. I, I kind of interpreted that as uh, the wisdom of mobs, perhaps. This is, I mean, I hate to say it. it, it look, it's one thing for people to want to go out there and get the bad guy and all that stuff. But. The reason we have due process is, you know, little things to like uh, making sure we we're actually getting the right guy instead of just getting anybody that we find. Mm -hmm. And um, I, it could be that I'm just overthinking it. Uh, but I, I actually uh, 
I don't know what business that has in a Halloween movie, if I'm being honest about it. But, hey, you know, since it's here, I kind of like that moment. If anyone is going to inspire that kind of hysteria, you got to figure it's it's probably going to be Michael Myers. And so I I appreciated it on uh, that level. And here again, same actor as in 2018, he comes back and reprises the character of Lance Tavoli here. And uh, what he does in the movie, it's it's. Uh, poignant but it's not necessarily pivotal in theory Mm -hmm. you could have deleted these scenes but i am glad that they're here um just to kind of make the argument that yeah it's understandable that the that the uh, town of haddonfield that they feel some kind of way about michael myers being on the loose but there is a dark side to what they're trying to do here and i i kind of like that and then, you know, when, when they start coming after Michael and you know, Anthony Michael Hall grabs a baseball bat, you're sitting there and after what happened with the firefighters, you're thinking, what are you, a dope? <laughs> you're going to beat him with a baseball bat now? And, uh, you know, and I, I hate to use keep using the same expression, but subverting expectations because for a little while they do take Michael down. Yeah. You know, uh, but I want to before we get to that, I want to go to uh, what do you think of Big John and Little John? <laughs> they were. <laughs> it's just it, it. I thought they were a hoot. I mean, the minute look, the minute you're watching a, a Halloween movie and you find out a new family has moved into the Myers house, you can kind of figure how that story is probably going to end. Right. And so, uh, you know, nothing of any great surprise really happens to them on the one hand. But on the other hand, those actors just they they pretty much steal every single scene that they're in. Um, but one of the one of the and I hope this doesn't sound you know weird or anything, but one of my favorite parts of everything that they do in the movie, it's actually their staging. Um, there's a moment where Allison bursts into the room and she finds their uh, their dead bodies just laying on the ground. And if you look close, there's a picture of them in their younger days where they're kind of snuggled up with each other, you know, in this picture. And mm-hmm. the way that they're staged on the ground, you know, just laying there dead, it's a perfect recreation of that picture. It's just in in the picture, they're alive, well and happy, whereas here they're dead, dead, dead. And I kind of liked the sort of the uh, 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 twisting of that. You know, I don't know if you noticed that, that, you know, they're positioned in the same way in the picture and on the floor. Yes, I did. But um, it uh, I I just but as to the performances uh, themselves, I just (laughs) it's 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 funny. And like I say, they just they steal nearly every scene they're in. Uh, What did you think of them? Yeah, I I. I pretty much agree with everything you said that they steal the scenes uh especially like there's the way they start out uh with big john upstairs you know dancing to his halloween song and smoking a joint while little john is downstairs what's i guess he's getting ready to watch a movie or making dinner or whatever he's doing and it, it just you know like I, 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 I really did get a kick out of them calling each other big john and little john too i don't know why but i just thought that was funny uh but they, yeah, they steal every scene, and and you know, it's it's a little bit of an art form when you can give a character such so little real actual screen time, and make the audience feel bad that they got killed. Yeah, 
You know, that's not easy. You know, a lot of, a lot of these movies, the, the characters, you know, they're, they're just fungible. You know, they're, they're all the same. Who cares? It's somebody who's having sex on the couch and, you know, the killer comes in and kills them. But if you can give them a few minutes and make them likable and then take them out, that, that adds to the whole, you know, tragedy of the scene. And, and uh, it makes the movie all, the, all that much more poignant when it doesn't, maybe more so than it has a right to be. So I, I thought they were a great addition to the to the movie, actually. Yeah, I uh, I agree, and it's and like you say, that's not that's not an easy thing to do to to inject that much life into. Let's face it, you know these characters that they, those actors injected life into those characters that doesn't necessarily exist on the pages of the script. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. So now. Just to get into a little of the philosophy behind this, uh, you know, throughout the movie, we, we, you know, we're told Michael's the boogeyman. He's the carrier of evil, I think they call him at one point. Uh, and yet, you know, we, we talk about what happened with the mob, how they kind of went out of control. So it's almost like he infects them with what he brings to the town. And I just feel like that's that's part of the message of this movie. You know, the, the way the, the mob gets out of control and the way they, they think they're going to take things back. And, you know, they're chanting how evil's going to die tonight. Uh, but it's almost like evil is amped up tonight. Yeah, uh, honestly, I mean, that whole evil dies tonight thing. Um, when people say that the movie sort of overplayed their hand on that, they just they went back to that little meme a little a little too often. I understand that, and I'll even say I, I even somewhat agree with it. But in terms of, I, I always thought it was kind of, I mean, I, you know, again, you know, the uh, you know the wisdom of mobs. I thought it was there's a kind of meta thing going on of they are just too close to this situation; they can't really see it objectively. Um, it's there's a. Uh, I don't know if you can hear it, but my daughter is outside, uh, just outside I do the. Hear. Uh, oh, okay. Well, so, yeah, and, and, and and trust me, I, I think that's a good sound. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know how it is. I mean, they get to a certain age where you know she's officially in the terrible twos now, and so. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, where where I was going with all this, um, there's that. It, it's kind of a. It's meant to be a joke, sort of like a meta sort of joke, where, um, the 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 joke goes. We are all individuals," said the classroom in unison. <laughs> exactly, you know, and um, the reality is, you know, these, you know, the uh, the uh, people of Haddonfield, they're they're just too close to it, you know. They can't really see their own. I don't know how else to call it, uh, their own villainy, perhaps, right. and um, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of explaining this, so I don't know. <laughs> Uh, sorry, Gwen kind of derailed me here. You uh, you take over for a sec. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I definitely think that's it. It's, you know, the, the mob mentality, and it's easy to fall into the mob mentality. And as you're watching this movie, you, you're thinking about, you know, it's 40 years later, but these people are still in their own way obsessed with what went on. Uh, and then, you know, when, when push comes to shove, they kind of lose their individuality, and they all just go along with what, you know, the, the thing is, uh, and they, they almost, it's almost like they lose sight of the target 
because they're going after the target. It's weird. Like they 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 start they stop thinking about what's going on and they just become you know like a bloodthirsty mob and it is very similar in my mind to to the mobs that are after the frankenstein monster in, in the universal movies uh and and they're ill-equipped you know they don't have the weaponry you know you got people with baseball bats uh ultimately uh was it allison i guess is the daughter you know she she gets him with a uh with a pitchfork at some point oh no that was uh, karen Oh, Karen gets him with the pitchfork. Okay, uh, you know, so so the you know, there's not really that same organized manner which you'd hope for, but they do manage to take Michael down, and they're beating on him, and and you know, by all rights, he should be dead. Yeah. And this is well, where I mean, he took six to the chest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, but they basically acknowledge that he is uh, supernatural at this point because we have a a cut scene with. Uh, Laurie and, and uh, I forget what his character's name is, Will Patton. Hawkins. Uh, Hawkins. We have the two of them, you know, in the hospital talking about how, you know, Michael cannot be beaten with brute force. And then all of a sudden, as they're talking about this, he's he's rising up and he starts killing everybody. Uh, and ultimately, you know, he, he kills uh, which, oh, Karen, which which to me was a shocker. I did not expect that. Really? Oh, man, I, I called that one before this movie even started. Did you? Oh, yeah. Look, you know that they're not uh, – look, I don't have access to, like, spoiler information, I, and if I did, I would go out of my way to avoid it. But I think we can all go into this thing reasonably sure Laurie Strode, one way or the other, is going to survive Halloween Kills, all right? Halloween Ends, I don't know about, but Halloween Kills, almost certainly. And Allison, being, you know, the youngest – um, uh, her fate also, you know, I think we can be reasonably sure she's going to survive at least as long as into the third one. Right. So who does that leave? You know, there's gotta be somebody who does that. See, leave? I'm, I'm going to go with a different logic that I had in my mind and see if you think, no, that was foolish. Cause maybe you do. Uh, I had thought that Karen was the skeptic that she was the one who thought, you know, Lori was overreacting to everything. So how do you make her suffer for her skepticism? You have Allison be killed by Michael. Hmm. That's how I th- would have seen it going. And now she's in Halloween Ends, and she's repentant for her poor thinking. Well, and I'll, I will admit that, yeah, I mean, there is a there's, long There's like a story. symmetry to that, that in my mind. Yeah. And I mean, and let's face it, there is a sort of long and storied history of teenagers buying it in these kinds of slasher movies. Now, I, I do see your logic there, but I don't know why I just for for whatever reason, I just I figured there's no way credits are going to roll on Halloween kills and Karen is still alive. You know, OK, no, that's and, it. you called it. and I was wrong. If I were a screenwriter, you would have been wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would have been wrong. And um, honestly, I. I do kind of like your your approach that you know a price does need to be paid for her skepticism. Perhaps. Well, the price she pays is she gets killed. Well, well, there is, but I mean, this is a price like this is something she can learn from, you know. Right. And I mean, I, I would have her paying an emotional price. Oh yeah, to say the very least, yeah. Oh boy, she's already lost her husband to him. And I like that. Again, this is one of those moments where, um. Halloween Kills does kind of improve. It, it sort of retroactively improves um, Halloween 2018, where 
in Halloween 2018, understandably, uh, the death of her husband ends up getting, I don't want to go so far as swept under the rug, but they don't really confront it. You know, nothing's really done about that in Halloween 2018. Whereas in this movie, they have two or three different scenes where the, the bigness of that, you know, uh, Karen lost her husband, Allison lost her father and what that means. You know, they, you know, they don't dwell on it, but it is, it is acknowledged and it is dealt with efficiently, I think. And again, it's just, it's one of those moments where I never had a problem with 2018, but this Mm -hmm. does, this, this does kind of put a a little bit more polish on it for me. What were your thoughts there? Yeah, no, I, I I think this movie definitely did, in hindsight, give a little bit more to uh, Halloween 2018, and and I I agree with you that it, it that it there's things in there that were kind of left unsaid that get said here, and you know I'm okay with that. I, some people are like you know the, some people would rather things be unsaid uh, and leave certain things to the imagination, but I'm kind of cool with. Uh, with them, with them, kind of giving you a little bit more there. Um, so I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely good with it. I'm just looking at the notes, and I didn't realize. Uh, apparently, they, uh, they did want Paul Rudd to come back and play uh, Tommy Doyle, uh, but he was unavailable. Yeah, he was busy with Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and honestly, I mean, I think I don't know where anyone else is coming from on this, but I think that's actually for the best. I mean, number one. <laughs> As I said, I I think Tommy Doyle was better played by being a big, you know, muscular guy, a tough guy. And Paul Rudd is a lot of very good things in movies, but that's not one of them. No, it's not. And when he played Tommy Doyle before, he just kind of comes off like sort of just this creepy weirdo. And uh, I mean, it's just this is a character that I don't think necessarily plays to Paul Rudd's strengths as an actor, you know, and there's also the continuity aspect. I mean, you do kind of raise some unnecessary sort of logical questions. Okay. Well, if Tommy Doyle is being played by Paul Rudd, once again, does that mean that the curse of Michael Myers is now back in continuity? And so, (laughs) I mean, I, I know that the Thorn trilogy has its fans. I don't really count myself among them, but I don't know. I just see that as it's kind of some interesting fan service, but it's like to me the it the good does not outweigh the bad. There, I'm not, I'm sorry, it doesn't. Yeah, I'm okay with that thought process too, though. So you know, but the movie ends. This this is something, and again, I don't. I generally avoid spoilers, and I'm going to give a minor one that I know about halloween kills and i apologize to you if you don't know that i mean halloween ends rather uh i'm gonna give a minor one if you don't know this but you probably do because it seems to be public knowledge uh halloween ends does not take place immediately after this it takes place several years later it's going to apparently uh have some sort of uh connection to the pandemic and things that go on so i'm not sure exactly how they're gonna take us from the end of this where he kills Karen and 
take us to, to several years later? I, you know, is Michael going in hiding somehow? You know, what 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 goes on? And I assume we're going to have some flashbacks that are going to bring us there and, and explain it to us. And hopefully they'll explain it to us in an acceptable manner. But what it does by knowing it's not picking up right where it left off, which is what I would have expected it to do. Um, it makes me wonder, how are they going to tell the story? What are they going to do? And I think that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I don't know what to expect from it. Nor do I, um, for that matter. Uh, but on that note, um, did you ever, did you ever see, um, the Halloween kills extended cut at any point? Uh, I, you know what, when I watched it this time, it was on, uh, HBO max. Ah, so that's the theatrical. That is the theatrical, not the extended. Okay. So then, no, I have not seen the extended. Um, well, it's. It's weird. Uh, the uh, extended cut, it's like it's the director's cut up to a point. And now it's no longer the director's cut. And that point is a slightly different ending. You've got uh, Karen. She's uh, standing in Judith Myers's room. She's looking out the window. Michael Myers is behind her, knifes her to death. That stuff you all know. The thing is, at the very moment that she gets killed... Lori is trying to call her from the hospital just to touch base and see what's going on. And then it's Michael Myers who answers the phone and uh, Lori hears the breathing and knows what that means. She uh, she knows that uh, Karen's dead now. And so the way that the extended cut ends, you're supposed to infer that Halloween ends. It's, it's going to take place again that same night in 2018. And now this truly is a grudge match. And Mm -hmm. obviously that's not quite the way the theatrical cut ends. It ends in such a way that eh, you're, you're not necessarily expecting whatever comes next to take place the same night. It could flash forward. It's a little bit more open-ended, whereas the extended cut, that's a pretty definitive ending. And I don't see, I don't see how Laurie Strode could just take that, lying down like the way that that movie ends emotionally you need to have the final confrontation same night you know and it's a little bit harder you know with that kind of structure i mean i don't know to me it makes sense but um that's really the biggest difference between the two is just that um that ending the other things you know the uh, extended cut it's a little bit bloodier it has i think it, it may actually have um more kills in it you know by like two or three it's not really that big of a deal and uh, but mostly it's the kills that we do get tend to be a little bit more graphic so if you're a carnage candy kind of person the extended cut is um it's not canonical you understand but it's um you know it, it it's got a little bit more maybe of of uh what you're looking for there now um before we close all this out, because I, I know you do need to get going here pretty quick. Um, there's that moment in uh, the playground where uh, the the uh, characters find uh, uh, Tommy and some other characters. They find uh, the bodies in the playground. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you recognize those masks as being from Halloween three? Oh, uh, that was pointed out to me. I, I, I'm going to you know, I'm not going to pretend that I know. <laughs> But yeah, I, I did end up knowing it because it had been pointed out to me. Yeah, well, it's just a fun little Easter egg, and it's one of those no, things. It is a cool. It is cool. 
Yeah, if, and if you catch it, you catch it. If you don't, no big deal. But I at least wanted and to throw that out there. Like I talk, talked to you about in the past, I, I enjoy Easter eggs more when they don't necessarily interfere with your viewing pleasure if you don't know what they mean. Yes. You know, sometimes they'll, they'll put some in there and it's such a, you know, a bang it's you a over the head too scene. much of a deep cut, huh? Yeah, it's, it's it's such a bang you over the head thing that if you don't recognize it, you're sitting there saying, what the hell are they talking about? You know, what the hell are they talking about? But if you put it in there and you just leave it there and it's like if you recognize it, great. And if you don't recognize it, we're going to just keep moving along. And, you know, it doesn't it's not going to affect your viewing pleasure in the slightest. To me, that's the way to do an Easter egg. I agree. So I think we're at the point. Uh, I, I don't really even want to speculate right now as to what we expect from Halloween ends. Uh, hopefully, you know, two weeks after this is posted, that will be the next podcast that will be on my feed. If it's not, you know, we'll get to it as soon as we can. Uh, so purely rating this one. And as I said, I think my ultimate decision on this one will be slightly dependent upon what I end up thinking of, uh, of Halloween ends and how it ties the whole thing together. But I think right now we rate this one on the viewing pleasure of this movie alone. And what'd you think? I'm going to say it's <clears throat> it's Halloween or sorry, it's Jaws 2. Barely, just barely. Uh, this is almost Jaws, but I just I can't quite justify putting it at that level. Um, and there are, you know, some reasons for that. I've talked mostly about the stuff that I liked, but there are some quibbles here and there that for me, Halloween kills. It's a, it's a, it's a good time at the movies. It, for me, at least it scratched the itch, but I just, I can't, I can't, I can't sit here and tell you, Oh, this is definitely jaws. It's just eh. Halloween 2018. I mean, it is, but, um, Halloween kills not quite to that level for me. So, uh, how about you? Well, I'm I'm also on Jaws 2. I'm not quite as high on Jaws 2 as you are. I think it's more, you know, in the middle. Uh, I think it's a it was a movie I enjoyed watching. I think it does have a certain level where if you didn't, you know, if you weren't familiar with the first two parts of this, it really would take away from the viewing pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't know that it stands alone, and that's mm. basically why. Uh, Halloween ends could either prop this up higher in my opinion. Uh, I don't think, I don't think you can make this into a jaws. I don't think this is just quite elegant enough for that. Uh, but it could rent, it could make it go high enough to be an upper level jaws too. Uh, or it could knock it down to a lower level jaws too, depending on what I think of Halloween ends, which is, it's unfair (laughs) that that this movie should have to be rise or fall based on another movie that's going to, hasn't even come out yet, but that's kind of how I feel. Well, I mean, you're not the one that directed it. David Gordon Green's the one that made that decision, not you. You're just reacting, you know? So I I think that's actually uh, completely fair. Now I will, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the Halloween ends title is probably misleading. I'm Mm -hmm. guessing there's probably going to be more Halloween movies at some point down the line. And by the way, I'm fine with that. I think the process more now is they want to do trilogies. And when I I think when Halloween 2018 ended, they weren't sure if they were going to get green lit for a trilogy. That's my understanding. So they kind of had a close to definitive end on that one. 
but then when you know when they got greenlit for this, I think they were greenlit for both, you know, this and Halloween ends. So they were able to leave this more open ended. Uh, but I think it will be the conclusion of the trilogy. I don't think it's going to be the conclusion of the franchise. Oh yeah, totally. I yeah, I think that's probably going to be definitely accurate. And I say that's great. That I mean, because on honestly, in terms of headcanon for me, there's the original from 1978, and there is nothing else. That's it for me. But, Interestingly, this does does make me curious to watch some of the ones in between, just to just to kind of fill the space and and to see, you know, out of curiosity. Um, yeah. And I, uh, honestly, I mean, I encourage you to do so. Uh, the realization that I had, and I, I can't speak for anyone else here, but the realization that I had is there's really only one Halloween movie that I just cannot abide. I just, I can't stand it. I'm probably never going to watch it again for the rest of my life. I just don't like this Halloween movie. All of the others I'm, I'm I'm either you know very friendly to such as Halloween Four, Halloween H two O, 2018. I mean I I like all of those, um, or at the very least I mean I can get some kind of strange, unexplainable pleasure out of watching it, like Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> I'm the guy in the room that can actually get some kind of uh, enjoyment out of that. But um, yeah I, I you know this. The, the, when people say that this is a series that has more bad ones than good ones, I don't know if I completely agree with that, but I understand why people say that. Mm-hmm. So that's right. um, that's maybe that's fodder for future episodes. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I, oh. at the very least, I do encourage you to to do that. And just if nothing else, just report back. Let me know what you think. I think there's definitely some possibilities there on both ends. Um, so that that's going to do it for today. Thanks, Trent, for coming on with me. I always appreciate our time to talk. Uh, And I look forward to talking to you again very soon after we see the next installment in this. Same thing, man. I can't wait. And thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And hopefully you'll hear the two of us in two weeks. Bye-bye. Take care. Come on. Let's go. Motherfucker.